Today's guest is Luke Hines, who has over two decades of experience immersed in the wellness industry as a functional nutritionist and personal trainer. Luke is also the best-selling author of 14 cookbooks, the host of Channel 7's The House of Wellness, Channel 10's Cook with Luke, and since his stint as a finalist on My Kitchen Rules, he has established himself as one of the most popular health and wellness personalities in Australia. Luke has also worked as a trainer on Australia's Next Top Model, the host of Channel 7's Live Well. He's also hosted the Food Network's The Good Cooks, along with regular appearances on Sunrise, The Today Show, Studio 10, and he has a popular online training platform called Daily with Luke. In today's episode, we discuss his incredible work ethic, habits, mental health, and why nutrition and health are really at the core of all transformation. And of course, I ask him about that time working alongside Angelina Jolie as her food and training consultant for one of her movies. I just know you're going to love this episode. Hello and welcome. My name is Steph Prem and I'm your host of Mindful Mess, a podcast where we speak with some of Australia's favourite sporting, health and business personalities about how they find balance in today's world. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are. I'm so happy you're here. (laughs) I'm happy to be here. Finally. I know. Can you believe it? Luke Hines, welcome to Mindful Mess. Steffi Prem, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. That's so lovely for you to say that late in the day. I'm sure you've had a very long day with lots happening. Let's start by how I first learned about your work. So you sent me a cookbook years ago, years ago that I received in my mailbox and I hadn't heard of you at the time and I have followed you religiously ever since. I just find your journey so inspiring I love everything that you put up on social media and as someone that comes from a background of, you know, I'm, I'm celiac, my sister's celiac, I've always, you know, struggled with food, I've had an athletic background, I just dived into your work. <laughs> you are the best. You're overkind. I love it and I'm going to roll you up and put you in my pocket and get you to introduce <laughs> me everywhere I go because that right there, I'm loving that. It's very kind. But the reason I sent you the book is because for me... I'm all about writing recipes that people are actually going to use. Yes, going to make. Going to make. Now, I had every hope, knowing your background, that you would definitely make them and that they would be part of your repertoire and that you'd be healthier and happier. And that's the reason I do everything I do, I guess, is to try to use my experience. And it's good and bad. It's it's mindful and messy. <laughs> but I try to do, you know, take note and be really present with what I experience to hopefully pass on, hey, I might not have all the answers, but this could be something you could think about. And this could make it a little bit easier for you or more approachable. I mean, I got my dad to make one of your vegan recipes on the barbecue. Yeah. And I think that's that speaks volumes. If I'm loving that. <laughs> dad on the barbie cooking a gluten-free, dairy-free, refined sugar-free feed. I'm a happy man. Right? Yeah. That's, you are doing your job. Yeah. And he didn't even know he was doing it, which is even better. I told him afterwards. And that's so the trick. Good. I, I know we talk about sneaking zucchinis and carrots into kids' muffins these days, but the trick is to I eat sneak healthy into my food. boyfriend's muffins yeah. all the time. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> Didn't quite know where that was going. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you this right now for free, Steffi, that eating healthy, and we'll get into this once we start chatting, of course, but eating healthy shouldn't be boring, bland, or tasteless. And if it does, you're doing it wrong. 
So let's start there. How did your health, nutrition, wellness journey begin? Well, I would like to say let's go back to my early 20s, but I'm actually going to say let's go back to my 10s, my 11-year-old, my 12-year-old self, where I had a weight problem. And by weight problem, I wasn't very sporty as a kid and I loved food. So naturally, I was carrying a lot more weight. But interestingly, because there was no social media and I was pretty much at school or going home to play with my dog or cat, I didn't really have awareness of body type or body image or anything. And I was also very, very young. As I started to go through high school, people started to, as kids can be, they can be a little bit cruel. And some of the teasing was based around body weight. And at first I was like, oh yeah, whatever. It's just, you know, just words. And then I started to notice that actually, hey, I am a, I'm a bigger guy and I am struggling with my weight. So when I got to year 11, I said, enough is enough. I'm tired of this. So I spent the whole summer away from school running from East Malvern along Gardner's Creek into Harold Holt. I did laps and I ran back home to East Malvern. That's Melbourne boy in me. And I lost all the weight. I went back to school on the first day of year 12 and teachers didn't even recognize me. You're kidding. Uh, They literally took a double take and were like, Luke? Transformation. Great transformation, but it changed how I felt, my energy, my mood, everything. And from then on, I discovered that you could be fit, healthy and active and not necessarily play AFL. You could be fit, healthy and active and not love competitive sports. You could be fit, healthy and active and enjoy gym, walking, swimming. And I just, I hadn't been taught that. So I taught myself how to be fit and healthy through activities that I felt comfortable with. Fast forward, I soon after school became a personal trainer. And when I transitioned to having a personal training business in Bondi, I then got a little bit of a touch of television through a show called My Kitchen Rules. And my whole mission on My Kitchen Rules, which was in 2012, we filmed it and it aired in 2013, so 10 years ago now was to prove to Australia five nights a week that healthy food can be delicious. And the rule was don't be eliminated first and don't be an arsehole. And turned out <laughs> that, uh, not sure, no, I wasn't an arsehole. I wasn't eliminated I'm sure the first. producers found it very hard to make you out to be an arsehole. <laughs> they did. They hated me for that. I couldn't <laughs> give them anything. And I made it all the way to the, fi- the finals, which was awesome. So that really is a very long but also short abbreviation as to how I got into fitness and food and looking after myself, empowering myself to look after my own well-being and then try to turn that into a career. You're doing a very good job of, by the way, by just by preparing healthy and nutritious meals and, and, and snacks on my kitchen rules and teaching people that that is possible, which I'm sure the country and the producers at the time found challenging because we don't always see that on TV. Yeah, the first episode that I cooked, Manu, uh, the French chef, he is the first scene. He basically says, I'm all for if Luke wants to cook healthy, but if it's bland and boring, I'll be judging accordingly. Wow. Yeah. But in a deep, rich French accent. Mm, Yeah. yeah. People love a bit of Manu. (laughs) They do. We do love it. We do love a European accent. You know, I loved that you just brought that healthy flavour to My Kitchen Rules. Was that your first taste of television? It was. I had wanted to be involved in TV, in the entertainment industry. I have a performing background. Great. My first degree. Just not many people know this, but before personal training, my full-time degree at uni was actually a Bachelor of Arts majoring in musical theatre performance. 
So singing, acting, dancing, jazz, tap, ballet. I went to a full-time drama school and it was great. And I did actually perform for a while. I was the uh, human host in the Bob the Builder Australasian tours across New Zealand, Australia, Singapore. You were not. I was. I was Troy the Trady. Yes. And I was singing and dancing with all the characters and all that. No way. But it got to a point where I was like, this is great. And I worked with Opera Australia and I'd done musicals. And I thought, actually, I need to be grounded. I need to be in one place. Okay. Because I had lived in Singapore for a few months. I'd been in New Zealand across Australia touring. It was transient and I didn't feel myself. I didn't have a pet. I didn't have a partner. I didn't have a photo frame. I didn't have a bedroom. Just felt like I was from place to place to place. And I took a break. That's when I leaned into my health and fitness qualifications because there's nothing better in the entertainment industry than having a good old fallback. (laughs) Turns out I fell in love with my fallback a little bit more than the uncertainty of performing. That is so funny. Just before we jumped on this chat, we discovered we both drive the same car, Uh which is hilarious. My background is also music theatre, which no one knows. It's an exclusive, ladies and gentlemen. You've heard it it here first. Well, it was, like you said, that was where I I went in that direction. Performance, obviously, always very performance-driven, Bachelor of Arts and musical theatre and drama and dance. But... Uh, my snowboarding and yeah. and sport took over. You fell in love with it. I found performance elsewhere, if you will. But yeah. it was it was introduced to me at a young age. Oh, I think that's wow. where you get the taste of it. Yeah. So there you go. Another thing, funny thing that we have in common. But I can't say I didn't do the Australasian tour as um, Troy the Tradie. Troy the Tradie. No, <laughs> I I didn't I didn't have such an incredible performance career. So I'm I'm very proud of you. You're now hosting your fifth year. Of uh, House of Wellness on Channel 7. Yeah. It's which is uh, amazing. Bit of a dream come true being on one of the only shows on free-to-air television that is about health and wellness, food, fitness, mindset, the latest and latest in trends. So it's good. Yeah. It's what we need to see more of. But, there, well, you can make that almost two now because you have just been – is it – Renewed, what's the right word for next year? Yes. Season two. Yeah. Cooking with Luke. I know. So you've got your own show now, which well, now, must be such a, a dream come to life. So when you've watched House of Wellness on seven, flick the channel, <laughs> head over to channel 10, <laughs> and that's where you'll see me on Cook with Luke. And what I love is that both networks don't mind. So that's great. I want you to share the love. House of Wellness on seven, Cook with Luke on 10. The point of them is that I take my background in performing and I get to perform but who I am about something I'm passionate about. So I'm not learning lines. I'm not scripted. I'm using all the skills I learned to be me. Regardless of network, like you said, I just think it's more important that we have shows out there that are teaching people and educating people more about health and well-being and a healthier lifestyle. Yeah. And I think people don't understand what goes into the behind the scenes of making, especially a cooking show. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we begin? <laughs> There is a lot I could talk to, but I'm going to talk to the food element because I think that's the most important part. Every episode has five recipes and there's 10 to 12 episodes per season. So that's 50 to 60 individual unique recipes for the show. And you do up to eight a day in studio from scratch. There's no smoke and mirrors. We're not faking anything. There's nothing that we've prepared the day before. We are cooking real. The three to five minute segment you see... Is real time. Is real time that we cut down after we've cooked it for 30 to 60 minutes. 
Wow. Mm, it's a big day. They're big days. Do you sleep? Uh, look, I, I've heard of it. No, you know what? I'll joke about the fact that I'd love more sleep, but I actually do sleep because it's one of my pillars of well-being. It is one of the cheapest, most accessible biohacking tools that we've got at our disposal. So many people are looking for the latest and greatest thing to benefit their health and they're looking for a pill to pop or, you know, whatever it is, a quick fix. Something outside of us or a quick fix. Go to bed, (laughs) go to bed earlier, turn off as long as you've caught up on my show, turn off the TV, stop looking at screens and get to bed. I cannot stress how much better you will feel when you get seven to eight hours. Anything less than seven, I am the human equivalent of road rage in all elements of my life. There is a reason why sleep deprivation is a form of torture. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm. We are not our best selves. Not at all. You don't make rational decisions. You don't have problem-solving abilities. And when I say problem-solving abilities, I'm not saying you're given a Rubik's Cube and you can't do it as well. Problem-solving as in, oh, hey, I just need to go into the grocery store and get A, B, C, and D. If you're tired and lethargic, you are forgetting items. You're not sure where to get things. You're forgetting that you didn't put money in the parking meter. Everyday things all accumulate into adding more stress into your life if you're tired. Basic Mm. cognitive function on a daily basis. You're right. You're right. It's those little things. Where's my keys? Yeah. Where's my phone? (laughs) It's in my hand. (laughs) We've all had those moments. Mm -hmm. Sleep. I love it. We'll come back to your healthy pillars because that's something that I'm very, very passionate about. But speaking of taking over the wellness industry, so we've got the, the two TV shows You've just moved to Melbourne, or back to Melbourne, I should say. Back. You're back after seven, eight years? I should run the Gardner's Creek to Harold Holt for old time's sake. <laughs> 30 I'll years later. I'll meet you on the weekend. Let's <laughs> yeah, go. Let's do it. You're also uh, about to be a radio host. I am. I am joining the incredible team at 3AW, uh, which I'm very excited about because I grew up listening to 3AW in the car on the way to and from school. Who didn't? Yeah. So for me to join the team there on Sunday mornings presenting a show all about wellness is a bit of a dream come true. And I'm sure my family and friends will say, yeah, of course, Luke loves the sound of his own voice. Of course, he's in radio now. But I do love the medium because you're connecting to half a million people every Sunday morning for an hour live. And you're also taking their calls and they can ask about anything health related. And that's my passion, helping people. So it's fun. I love that. All part of the further education. Yeah. Uh, Along with your 14 cookbooks. That you this have. is getting silly. I feel embarrassed <laughs> for the readers. For the, this is getting silly. I feel embarrassed for the listeners because they'll be like, oh, here we go. Luke, turn it up. But <laughs> This is what the listeners need to hear. I mean, you've got titles like Five Kilos in Five Weeks. Oh, it's quick. Healthy Made Easy. It's easier than ever. Smart Carbs. But you couldn't be smarter. I'll come on the phone. I'm ready to yeah. dial in and ask the questions. But my personal <laughs> favourite is uh, Guilt-Free Snacks. Oh, yeah. That is my, that's actually my favourite book. It is? Yeah. Well, I think that should just be compulsory for all Australian households. You yeah. know, like on every shelf in every Australian household, they have like the Woman's Weekly Cook. Uh, what is it? The kids. Yeah, the birthday, birthday book. Birthday book. Yeah, the bir- everyone's got it. Everyone's got it. Yours needs to be next to it, it in is. every Australian household. 60 sweet and savoury snacks that are gluten, dairy and refined sugar free with low carb keto options. So the reason I put it together is so many people fall off the bandwagon when it comes to their discretionary treat foods. But what if you could have it taste exactly the same, but it was macronutrient rich and it was really good for you and it didn't throw your, you know, your sugars off track. So it's, it's great. 
So to explain that to us, explain macronutrient rich for those okay. who are listening and go, that doesn't make sense to me or I don't know what that means. So I'll, I'll strip it back to even calories. Great. It's a bit of a dirty word. For so long, calories got such a bad rap and for a good reason, because if you start to obsess about calories, it can actually limit your eating and what you want to enjoy and it can create a, not a healthy relationship with food. But I want to use calories in their technical sense in that they're a form of energy. We need energy to simply breathe, to function. And then on top of that, we need energy to walk, to pick up the kids from school, uh, to think, to work. Survive, thrive. Survive, right. <laughs> and the unit of measurement, the unit of measurement for energy for human beings are calories. Now, the reason I'm tapping into this is calories come from our macronutrients. So fats, proteins, and carbs. And those have different values of calories in them. Now, when I say nutrient-rich macronutrients, <laughs> I mean getting say them that from, quickly three get, times. <laughs> yeah, getting those calories from nutrient-dense sources. So, I could give you a hundred calories of fast food right now, or one hundred calories of beautiful roast vegetables. Now, yes, technically they're both. 100 calories. So they're the same energetic load, but how they respond and react in your body is so uniquely different from a micronutrient level too, which is your vitamins and minerals, how your energy levels will be, the way you store fat, mm. all of those things come into it. So yes, there's an argument about calories in versus calories out, but where those calories come from is so important. So when people say, oh, you know, I want to be really active. I say, great, get your energy or calories from real food, nutrient-dense sources. And that to me is healthy fats, avocados, nuts, seeds, olive oil, stuff like that. Well-sourced protein. So that's as ethical as you can afford or find or source within reason. So non-negotiables for me are free-range chicken and pork. Try to opt for grass-fed beef if you can. And eggs, definitely try to opt for free range as well. And if you can choose organic within your budget or lifestyle, go for it. If you can't, just do the best that you can afford. And then when it comes to veggies, above and below ground. So if you need more energy, below ground, they're your starchy ones. And your above ground are your lower carb approach. So if you're wanting to lower your carbs, eat above the ground and you want to get a little bit more energy and go below the ground. Nutrient-dense foods, it makes a difference with how we think, feel and perform. It also makes so much sense. When you break it down like that. <laughs> and we remove the word, I love that, remove the word calories, insert energy. Yeah. We all want more energy. Yeah. We all want to survive and thrive, like you said, and be better in different aspects of our life. Yeah. And so much of that is linked to our health and to our nutrition and the way we eat or how we choose, like mm. you said, to eat based yeah. on what's available to us and what we, what we can get. Yes. But we forget. You know, Don't we? we? <laughs> we I do. forget. I've forgotten. We all do. Yeah. So on those on those days where I've got clients or have had clients in the past that say to us, A, they swear by your cookbooks too, but B, we all have the naughty days or as my clients like to call them, the cheat days. Yep. They love a cheat day. <laughs> Everyone loves a cheat day. I love a cheat day. Right. But do you know what the difference is? Well, I don't let a cheat meal necessarily be a cheat 24 hours and I don't, I don't let a cheat 24 hours turn into a cheat week or a cheat week turn into a cheat month, I'm mindful about how I cheat. Do you know what I mean? So I love that. I will go into a holiday and I'll go, you know what? For the seven days that I'm away, there might be a little bit of cheating. But when I'm back, I'll be back on track. It's the big picture. It's the long game. Mm. If you have a cheeky meal, you're not going to put on weight from that meal. If you have a cheeky day of eating, you're not going to put on weight from that meal. It is a broader approach. If 
if you are a calorie counter or you are curious about your energy and energy out intake, I can tell you what, it isn't based on a micro level of a 24-hour period. It is based over that week and that month, accumulative, and how your body responds. So what I'm saying is do what you need to do within reason for your lifestyle. If it's your birthday, enjoy it, whatever that means for you, but it doesn't need to be a birthday month because people can't stop. It's addictive. Refined and processed foods are addictive. It's inherently in their nature, the way they're made and the ingredients in them. And we don't have an off switch. We don't. With protein and fats, our bodies have a natural hormone that tells us we have had enough. With sugar, we don't. So just be mindful. Have it, but stop. On one, we can stabilize, and on the other, we can't. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> we spoke about it earlier in the season with Dr. Libby, the, um, how sugar can be as addictive as drugs. Yep. And how we can get caught on that Ferris wheel. So what would your advice be to someone that's stuck in, say, a cheat week? (laughs) (laughs) If you are stuck in a cheat week or one of those cycles, what you need to do is be present in the moment. Be really mindful. Sounds a bit daggy, but you're in a moment and you go, oh, God, big week. You're in the mess of the mindful. Yeah, you're in the mess of the mindful right there. (laughs) Break it with something different that is also a sensory reward, though, that might give you that hit of dopamine. So what you might want to do is you go, okay, my instinct is telling me to go to the pantry to get another Tim Tam or to go to the shops to buy another packet of Tim Tams. But instead, I'm going to have a bath. And in the bath, I'm going to light a candle and listen to some of my favorite music. Hmm, feel-good receptors are going off. Great, I distracted myself. I didn't go get the Tim Tams and now I've done something that feels really good. All those receptors go off and you go, oh, I really feel like a treat. I might go for a walk. I might get some fresh air. I might call a friend I haven't spoken to and have a laugh for a while. And the other one is to replicate. So go, all right, I feel like a Tim Tam, but there's a really great three-ingredient Rocky Road recipe online that I could make that's more nutrient-dense. I'll make that and that'll be a better option. I love that. Look for the dopamine fix. Mm, There you go. I've got an idea for your next cookbook. Yeah? Yeah. You know how we spoke about the birthday cake cookbook? Yeah. I feel like maybe we could do a kid's cookbook, birthday cookbook. Healthified. Yeah, healthified, vegan, sugar-free, healthy options for all the kids out there, but more so the families, Mm. you know, and and the families and the parents dealing with these food intolerances. Yeah. As I mentioned, my sister and I are, are celiac. We found out later in life it takes a lot of adjustment. Yeah. When it's not something that you're used to or... When it comes into a family that's uh, not expecting the change. Whether it's an intolerance or you're simply not healthy, a lot of people forget how feeling good can feel. A lot of people have fallen out of touch with what healthy feels like. And they think how they feel on a day-to-day basis, tired, eyes hardly able to open in the morning, clutching at extra caffeine and sweets in the afternoon to get through the workday. A lot of people think that's normal. They go, oh, it's just down to stress and the fact that I've got three kids and blah, blah, blah. It's not. You can actually have all the crap that comes with life and the stresses and the responsibilities and the heavy load that people live with but still feel great. And that comes to really smart nutritional choices. And healthy choices, mm. life, lifestyle choices. Yeah. We're always one day away from a healthy, healthier lifestyle choice, right? We are. <laughs> but it also doesn't have to happen overnight. That's what I love about it. We're one day away from a 1% change. Yes. All it has to be. I love the one percenters. Just 1%. 1%. What's they your, add up. What's your 1% today? My 1% today. Managing stress. So wheels fell off this week. Lots of wheels. And I'll tell you the types of wheels. 
trades not having uh, stuff they needed to repair something with or a freezer completely breaking down. Something not going through. You're meant to make a transfer online. Didn't go through. Real life stuff. You know, trades, external repairs, stresses banking, that catch external up. stresses that all mm-hmm. happen. A few of them all derailed. And I found myself having a moment today going, I think this is a really good opportunity for a learning because I reckon the old me would have started to get really overwhelmed and wound up and I would have taken the stress of those wheels falling off into other elements of my life. I would have gone to meetings, could have even come here stressed. Mm. The old version of me might have carried carried more of the burden and let it enter my energy for other things. Whereas this morning I woke up and I thought, you know what? It's a big, big few days, few wheels falling off, but that doesn't have to affect everything else going on. So I'll deal with what I can and set aside what I can't. And it is what it is. Control your controllables, Ooh, as like they that. say. Be like water, let it flow. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Mm. Be like water, let it flow. Yeah. We can both take that into our day. I'll add that to my 1% yes. for today. Yeah. You're right. Sometimes we can get very overwhelmed, like mm. you said, by the external. Where does mindfulness come in for you? Does that play a role? Yeah, it does, but not in the traditional sense that we're seeing a lot of on socials Mm. at the moment. We're seeing mindfulness and meditation in a little bit of a structured form, whereas I find it in everyday moments, I guess my approach is because I'm not the... I'm not a perfect wellness person either. I love to share what I do, but also no one's perfect. So if anyone goes, oh, I don't set time to journal and be mindful and meditate, I might do what Luke does. And that goes, all right, before I drive anywhere, I sit for five minutes and I just breathe. I get my thoughts together. I don't want to just panic into the day and roll out, you know, the driveway. I just, that's my five minutes of mindfulness. Or before I go to bed, I make sure that my devices are off, the TV's off, and I lay there and I connect with my dogs, and that's mindfulness. You can be mindful in the shower for three minutes. You can be mindful cooking your dinner, because instead of thinking about all these other things and using your phone and having the TV on in the background, you can stir those veggies, and that's four to six minutes until they're caramelized as (laughs) mindfulness. You know what I mean? Yes. It doesn't have to be. It can be. It's not out of reach. No, it's not. And it doesn't have to be this structured thing that you see online or on TV. It, it's great if it is, but if it isn't, incorporate it into stirring. <laughs> and caramelizing. Yeah. I remember when someone explained mindfulness to me in my sporting career, because I, I wasn't implementing it. I wasn't using it at all. I was probably in ways that I didn't realize I was, like you said, and not as structured. But someone just said, it's just your, it's your body's natural relaxation response. It's kind of like an inbuilt Valium yeah. that you have access to whenever you need it. Oh, but you, I love that. But you've got to tap into it. Yeah. And I just went, how good's that? Why yeah. aren't I using that more often? Let's call it micro mindfulness. Yes. Where it doesn't have to be five, ten minutes. It could be two minutes. You know, you're waiting for the end of the washing machine to finish and you're standing in the laundry and you know it's going to be done in two minutes. So you stand there waiting. Lean against the bench in the laundry. Shut your eyes and do a micro mindfulness. Take an MM. Yep. Micro, a mo- moment, I love it. Or MMM. A yeah. moment of micro, micro mindfulness. mindfulness. <laughs> Take a few deep breaths, shut your eyes, and you know you're out of it when it dings and you've got to put it into the, the dryer or something. I'm doing it. I'm doing it this afternoon. <laughs> I promise. So you touched on it a moment ago when you said you're very open about your own wellness journey. 
And that's something I've always admired about you. I think there's an assumption that because we work in health and wellness, that we're always the healthiest people and we never make any mistakes. But I think, you know, a big part of this podcast is to show that everyone has their mess. And it's how we, you know, continue to to thrive and operate in, in the chaos that is life. And, you know, the, the mindful represents the calm and, you know, the mess represents the chaos, yeah, if you will. Exactly. And I really admire on your Instagram how you – you seem to really maximize time. And you, you spoke about it before. You, you, you obviously love a dopamine hack, and I'm, I love a dopamine hack. Or maybe possibly you're a, a habit stacker. This is an assumption from looking at your Instagram. But I love – I saw it last week. You're, you're flying. You're, you're in and out of Melbourne a lot with your job. So you're on the, on the airplane writing recipes, reading scripts, you know, learning lines – you're in the bath, you're doing active recovery, but you're responding to, you know, your messages in your inbox. And I was like, this guy knows how to habit stack. <laughs> I try to get fit as much as possible into my day. My alarm always has a four in front of it, whether it's 4.15, really? 4.30 or 4.45. It's one of them. And the which part of the four that it lands depends on what time I went to bed because my non-negotiable is seven hours sleep. So I always make sure I'm in bed to have seven hours sleep and have an alarm that has a four in front of it because I feel like I can get so much more done in my day before the inbox and phone starts happening at 9am and I feel like I've already achieved so much before the world starts coming at me for bits and pieces. So I think we live in such a busy time. Whatever time you can catch up and be prepared for the world, yes. the better. So I do stack my tasks because I look around. I, pl- I fly four to six times a week and I look around on the plane and not only does everyone just accept the snack, whether they're hungry or not, which is more of a nutritional question, but anyway, they accept that. But also they are, if they're doing it mindfully, then I can't have a go at them. But from what I witness, there's a lot of people just playing games and watching shows or flicking through anything or just staring off into space. And I go, this flight is two hours. I could clear my inbox and send a couple of questions off to clients and I'm, I'm rocking when I touch ground in Melbourne, I'm awesome. And I always keep an outfit, like a gym outfit in my car, both ends of the trip, so that I don't have to go home to get gym gear. I go straight from an airport to a gym and it saves on 30 minutes of mucking around. And I always make sure I've got protein sachets, whatever I'm doing, so that if I do get a workout in, I can have some food or protein afterwards. So it's all about preparation too. But I am very open about mental health. I think people look at you and I and other people in the wellness industry and they're sometimes, not everyone, but sometimes there can be an assumption that, oh, they've got it sorted. They're fine. They've, they've had it easy their whole life. Look at where they live. Look at what they do. What a life of luxury. And I'm like, mm, careful you don't get tricked by even our own smoke and mirrors because I can assure you social media is such a highlight reel. Mm. And that's why I try to dabble some of the reality in there too. So amongst the pretty recipes and me on the beach with the dogs, there's some pretty hard times too. A good example would be because I tap into both fitness and nutrition, being a personal trainer and functional nutritionist, the story I like to share is that when COVID happened, I gained 12 kilos and I'm not talking muscle, I'm talking body fat. (laughs) And I'd never been that big as an adult. And it was really confronting because my body looked and felt really different with 12 kilos of fat Mm. on me. And I'm not fat shaming, but because I'd been 
so healthy and lean for most of my life. You know what healthy feels like. I know what healthy feels like and I know that wasn't right for me and my headspace and my performance and how I felt self-esteem wise. There'd be people listening who go, oh, 12 kilos, it's nothing. You're lucky. I've got 30 or 40 to lose. I'm a realist in that regard that we're all on a different journey. But 12 kilos for someone who has never been that as an adult was really confronting and I fell out of love with my body. Mm. I was lazy, lethargic, and I said, I've got to do something about this. I'm so sad and I'm so flat. And I'm not also making sure that I don't link happiness with being ripped because it's not. The weight you carry on your body, whether you like it or not, self-esteem aside, has an effect on your performance, how you think. So even if you don't mind the way you look bigger, it still affects other elements of your well-being. You're just slower in so many different things. And I didn't feel my best. I couldn't perform. If I had to run on the beach after the dog, I felt so lethargic and tired. My cardiovascular fitness took a real big hit. I wasn't lifting heavy in the gym. So I did something about it. I lost 10 kilos in 10 weeks. Now, I know that's extreme, but I had the know-how and the, and the lifestyle experience and the qualifications to do 10 kilos in 10 weeks. They say the safe weight loss amount is 0.5 to 1 kilo per week. One kilo is as high as I'd recommend anyone pushing it for it to be sustainable, but don't be disheartened if it's half a kilo or less because it's a different journey for everyone. Anyway, I did the 10 kilos in 10 weeks. And I shared the story online. I never thought I would. I shared big belly, big back fat, all the, all the loose bits. I shared the photos online. And so many people reached out and said, thank you. Because we look at your and other people's grids on Instagram and it's pretty good looking all the stuff you post. You know, you're on the beach in your short shorts and you look shredded. And we from afar, you know, the viewers at home go, oh, never look like that or yeah, you know, it's because he does what he does for work. Yeah. Social media can be very disempowering yeah. for people. And I go, you know what? You know what you weren't seeing? This and this and this. And there was just countless people who went, thank you. Seeing you have the brave kind of ability to show your more vulnerable side, especially when you're a public figure in the public eye, means we don't feel alone, but we also know that anything's possible. It's, um, it was very courageous, I thought. I was following throughout. And I know you got a lot of positive feedback, but I'm sure you got a lot of negative feedback yeah, throughout the journey as well. That happened. But I thought it was really brave of you to put it out there and show that all of us struggle in so many ways. And you touched on self-confidence. So when you're caught in the mess, mm. let's call it, and you have reservations, doubts, fears, anxieties, how do you push through mentally on those days? I'll say there's no easy way. I want to be upfront about that because I think it would be really easy for us to go, no, get out, exercise, eat better. They all help. Don't get me wrong. But I recommend building a toolkit, a toolkit of lifestyle habits that all contribute because you don't want to just leave it to one device in your life to hopefully fix a negative headspace. So there's days where I look in the mirror and I don't like how I look. I don't like how I feel. I talk negatively about my career progression, my friends, my relationships, all of that, right? The head voice is a, can be a real nasty bugger. <laughs> that little internal dialogue can yeah. be naughty sometimes. And I don't think there's just one thing that suddenly turns it around. I don't think it's a case of reading a mantra five times and hoping that flips the lid, but it could help. But also combine the mantra with a walk. That could help. And do the walk and maybe a swim or journal. That could help. Or 
Watch your favourite show to distract yourself. It could be going to the movies, catching up with a friend, spending time with animals, time in nature. My toolkit is varied and some ends of the toolkit are really holistic and super nerdy health-wise, like ice baths and hot cold water and all that type of stuff. But other elements are having my favourite chocolate and sitting on the couch watching Netflix because your toolkit can look and feel very different depending on the circumstance in the day, and that's okay. But the bigger the toolkit, the more likely you are to get out of the funk. And reach for something mm. in that toolkit when you need it. I call my toolkit the, the non-negotiable toolkit. Oh, I like that. So you touched on non-negotiables before when you were talking about the choice of food and your non-negotiables in terms of your proteins. So important. But when I think about non-negotiables sort of as the cornerstone habits, say, of, you know, the things that – the principles really that mm. underpin a healthy, happy, fulfilling – life, yeah. if you will. What would you say some of your non-negotiables are? What's what's in that toolkit that you've always got to reach for? Ocean, animals, nature. And I know that not all of those are around everybody. There's people who live in places where there is an ocean, so swap ocean for water. If you can't do natural water, magnesium bath type situation, there is something very healing about bodies of water. The ocean's particularly healing because of the, the skyline, the, the view, the outlook, the aspect, the sound, it's very meditative. And in the same respect, if you don't live near the ocean, there's something very calming about lakes and rivers and streams. In the same respect as laying in a mineral magnesium bath is just as good for you. It is very healing. And when I say nature, I say trees, grass, things that are living and breathing. So nature's a living organism in that it is breathing, it is providing us with energy. We would not survive as human beings if we didn't have trees and plants on planet Earth. We would be gone because they provide us with oxygen to breathe and the whole, it's a, you know, it's a big... Seems obvious. Yeah, it does. But being <laughs> around that, in immersed in that, they call it nature bathing. I think there's like an actual mm. thing now where you go nature bathing, where you go into forests and lay there and absorb it. But whenever I can, I hike, I walk, I explore. 45 minutes from the CBD in Melbourne, you're in the middle of the Dandenongs. You're hiking, you're around ferns, gums, all sorts of beautiful trees. Just regulates your nervous system. You don't even have to try. You don't have to go, oh, I'm being mindful now. You put your phone in your pocket, you walk on one of those trails. I tell you what, you're being mindful because there's a kookaburra, there's a goanna, there's a beautiful bird, there's a beautiful plant. That's mindfulness. Healthier distractions. Exactly. I was always very lucky to be immersed in nature with my career early on. We were in the mountains always, so I was lucky in the snow. So not uh, with frozen water, but yeah. not really. <laughs> but in the mountains, and it's funny, I didn't realise the effect that it had until I – uh, retired from mm. sport and then I didn't have access to nature anymore and I went into a corporate job and a corporate world mm. and, you know, came out of injury where I was spending a lot more time indoors and, you know, doing recovery and yeah. I just couldn't believe the effect on my overall well-being, yeah. be it mental, physical, emotional, um, psychological, from not having that access to nature on a daily basis. So, it was just such a reminder to me of how important it is that we have to go seeking. We have to go looking yeah. for it. Like you said, if it's not available to us in our backyard, we have to go find it. And that's why I say the toolkit, there's ocean, there's water, there's nature, and then if possible, animals. 
And some people are like super animal people. Some people aren't. But try to find an animal that you resonate with. For me, it's dogs and I've got two dogs. I can't believe you didn't bring them today. I know. Well, we wouldn't have got much done. <laughs> and the audio would be terrible. That's true. Yeah. And the listener would be like, all right, you can stop the dogs like barking or getting up in your grill. But the reason just, I say Just animals, me giving them treats in yeah, the background. the whole way, chomp, chomp. <laughs> The reason I say animals is that, um, in particular dogs, studies have been done that when you lie or cuddle a dog, your actual heart rate and your breathing rate starts to align. So if you've got a dog that's resting and really calming energy, when you start to pat that dog, your energies actually start to align and you slow down. And I notice that. Like if I've had a really busy day, I'll get on the couch and I'll have a cuddle and I can go feel like we're actually breathing at the same rate. And then that article popped up where they did a study and they said that they help regulate our breathing. They help regulate our heart rate, which is incredible. It's like amazing. That's, so if you're not a dog person, you might find that with a cat. You might find it with, you know, a reptile. There's all sorts of animals out there. And if you can't have a pet where you are, try to spend time in parks where there are animals or that's why animals are used for therapy for mm. both people with injuries, mental health, or even when you're older. The connection that you get from an animal is really powerful. So if you can find a love for animals, if you don't already have one, maybe you just haven't found the animal for you. And if you love animals, try to spend time around them. My goddaughter was telling me the other day that they have a dog, a school dog now, a pet (gasps) that lives at the school. Oh, obsessed. And I know, and visits all the preps. Oh. And they all get, um, you know, we used to have guinea pigs when we we were kids, but we never had a dog that lived on campus. Can you imagine a dog coming into class and how happy it would be with seeing everybody and its tail wagging? And imagine the kids, the preps. She was so excited. So I just thought that was such a beautiful initiative to be bringing animals into education. What I love about that too is I, I, I sometimes get sad when parents or parental figures pass their own fears or judgment on animals onto their young ones because you see it at the park sometimes a parent might have had a bad experience with a pet and absolutely respect to be careful around all animals but you see that the kids have picked up that fear and if the if you know if you've got a gorgeous golden retriever or a labrador that wouldn't hurt a fly and you see a, a young kid scared of it my heart breaks a little bit because i feel like they're missing out on the joy that that experience could give their life and finding that education. So the fact that there's a beautiful dog going into the preps, that's going to teach them that, you know what, most animals are pretty good. So true. I mentioned earlier, Dr. Libby, we also had Craig Harper on who's um, studying neuroscience and Dr. Libby's obviously in the field of biochemistry and nutrition like yeah. you. And we're talking about the importance of habits. Yeah. And I feel like we've, we've, We've gone in and out of them all day today. You've got your dopamine <laughs> hacks. You've got your habits stacking, be it on the flights or, or in the plane. But I think we've also touched on the destruction of bad habits as well. And, you know, in your experience, either be it with yourself or with your clients, we know how hard it is to break a bad habit. But why don't we do what we say we're going to do? <laughs> well, It's funny, as human beings, first of all, unfortunately, we have what's called a negativity bias. It's where human nature just has it, that we lean into the worst case scenario or the most dramatized version or the negative outcome. That's why news rates, because people, for some reason, are attracted to watching the bad things that have happened across the day. That's why when something could happen that's bad for us, 
we lean into the what could possibly go wrong, not the what could possibly go right. Now, I think that leans into habits as well in that sometimes negative habits, they're a little bit addictive and they're our comfort zone and it's scary to break them. But when you start replacing those negative habits with a good habit, you haven't been doing it for as long, which makes you feel like it's not as easy. But if you had been doing it for as long as your bad habits, then you would find it easy. So a lot of the bad habits that we've got, they're just the reason they're addictive is because we're used to them. We're comfortable with them and we've done them for so long and we've leaned on them like a crutch. But if you are brave enough to step away from the habit, replace it with a positive habit, then it's wonderful because the more you implement it, well, they say it takes 21 days to change a habit or make a habit. Imagine 42 days, you know, how cool that would be. 63, like just do it for long enough and it'll be as easy as a bad habit. I love that. So easy. Don't stop it, just swap it. Yeah, they say. I love that, yes. <laughs> What's one habit or behavior that's changed in your life in the, in the last few years that has changed your, that's changed in your life and has changed your life? I would say changing. I think this is a good one, actually. I'm glad you asked this. I would say one habit that I'm changing from negative to more positive is communication. So I think a lot of people would resonate that when you get confronted with a question, query or inquiry or anything in your life from anyone, whether it be business, family or friends, that's difficult. My and many people's response is to not deal with it then and there. That's hard. The alarm bells go off. The stress and anxiety. I can't respond to that email because Shy I away. either Shy yeah, away. <laughs> I don't want to say no. I don't want to disappoint them. I'm not sure. I don't know the answer. My older response used to be to leave unread so that I could deal with it when I felt like I had capacity because I wanted to give them a response. I wanted to get in there, right? I want to kind of so, for example, a good one would be one of the companies I work for are like, hey, Luke, could you do this? And I'm like, oh, I think I could do that. I definitely could, but I don't have capacity now, but I don't want to say no, but I also have to learn a few things in order to be able to do it. I'm going to mark it as unread because I'm keen, but I've got to come back to it when I feel like I've got capacity. You're not going to suddenly wake up one day and it's going to have solved all of your head doubts or self-talk. So get in there and go, hey, I don't have capacity right now, but I'm keen and this is something I'd like to do or work on or whatever. So that, that, the, the habit that I'm trying to change is to putting things off and just dealing with it. Hit it head on. Yeah. And also that could inco- include saying no because I have a fear of saying no. So instead of saying no, I sometimes might not say anything and that is worse. It may feel better to you at the time because you've not felt the confrontation, but for the person or people or business on the other end, not hearing anything is way worse. So I've learned that braving up and going, hi, that's not for me. I'm really sorry. I appreciate you thinking of me though. That is way better. Nips it in the butt. Because the, the emails, questions or texts that you don't respond to and markers unread, they just accumulate on your subconscious, adding stress and anxiety. They're almost a subconscious no they anyway. Are. They are. I mean, my name's Stefan. I'm a former people pleaser. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're in a safe space. I, uh, <laughs> I feel this is something very close to my heart and something I've had to learn. The power of not just no, but no thank you, full stop. And no reason. 
That's what yes. you're saying. No thank you. Dot. No justification. No justification and no guilt. You're allowed to say no. It's just like the eating the treat at your birthday, like yeah. you said, or having the cheat day. You're allowed to do, do it, it, but without the guilt. Yeah. And then go back to the good stuff exactly. afterwards. Yeah. Because whenever you say no thank you to something, like you said, maybe subconsciously or is not sitting well mm. with us, it's sitting unread or yeah. you know, um, unaddressed. Yeah. It's often our body's way of telling us it's a no yeah. anyway. Yeah. And when you would just hit it on the head and Dealt with it. It's what gone. A, what a rel- There's a dopamine hit right there. Oof, Oof. Gone. Oh, I feel so much clearer. Inbox. Yeah. <laughs> Relieving. Yep. Exactly. So the power of no thank you is something that we all are continuing to work on, I and think. for those playing along at home, there's 20 emails in my inbox that need this, need attending. <laughs> they may vary in months and years, <laughs> but I'll say I'm working on it. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I went to, um, I'm a huge Liz Gilbert fan, Eat, Pray, Love. Liz Gilbert, and I, I, when she was in Melbourne a few years ago, I went to one of her beautiful presentations and she got about halfway through and then she was talking along these lines of how we can create space in our life for the things that, you know, bring us joy and make us feel like our best selves. And one of her things was just strip your inbox. And she literally, still even now thinking about it, gives me fear. She said, don't even respond because if it's that important, those people will circle back and they will come back into your life. So just Empty your inbox and start. Empty it. Empty it. Start, start fresh. Right? I'm welling up inside me. Terrifying. I've got to add one last look yeah. before they go. Maybe respond to those 20 you just spoke about. And it's then, only 20. And then fresh. Slate. And then clear it out. Yeah. And then clear it out. So you've been very open about social media today. Mm-hmm. Or shall we call it the, the show reel that yeah. is social media. The, the highlight reel that is social media. And also your own mental health, and I love that you share that on your platforms. And I think it's especially important for for men and for women to ask better questions, to have better conversations. So what would your advice be when you believe that you're not having your best day? We all know sometimes we wake up and we feel the overwhelm or we feel those controlling emotions such as anxiety or be it depression. What's your advice? So they are the two that I, you know, I don't say had or have. I say I live with, if that makes sense. I live concurrently with things that can come and go in my life depending on certain circumstances. It's Does a that dance. Make sense? Yeah, it's, a, it's dance. a dance. So if I'm feeling really, really anxious, I try to just really calmly work out what it is. I know that's sometimes hard in the moment, but if you can try to pinpoint what might be triggering it, and it's not just those 20 emails. If you, can, if you can work out what might be making you anxious and tap into your gut. I know it sounds woo, but it's not. Your gut is where we're thinking from. That's where we're thinking and so feeling from. So you mean from. intuition? Like- intuition. Your gut will tell you. Your gut will truly tell you. Your brain can tell you all sorts of things based on stress and anxiety and learnings and all that type of stuff, the, the exterior. But- and the anxiety doesn't have our best intentions. No, it doesn't have a great outcome always in mind. But try to sit with it and go, oh, that's what's something in my gut says that that person's not right for me. Or something in my gut says that business opportunity is not right for me. Follow your gut. It's never wrong. All right. I'm sure you've had experts on here that know all about the microbiota and the fact that we've got more bacteria in our gut than anywhere else and that it's known as our second brain and it's so smart and it is so intuitive and it knows what's going on and on an energetic level so so smart it's where our immunity is it's where it's all happening right try to tap into that 
and slowly unravel or dismantle the attachment to that particular thing in your life. It might be having to say no. It might be having to defer something that you said you would do, but try to deal with it because once you deal with it, no doubt that anxiety might go away. I'll give you an example that a lot of people are living with at the moment, financial anxiety. A lot of people are going through a lot of financial stress at the moment. Now, it is a hard topic to think and talk about, right? But for as long as you're not dealing with calling the bank to defer some payments or go to interest only, or for as long as you're not paying bills that are piling up as invoices in your inbox, you're going to be anxious. So bite the bullet and try to find a solution for them. If you don't have the money, make calls to try to just keep them off your back and the anxiety will begin to dissipate. But for as long as you're ignoring everything, that anxiety is not going anywhere. Now, I'm no expert and I've certainly been in and out of therapy and psychology and counseling and psychiatry, all the, all the things. And, and I'll tell you briefly the story. When I was younger, I had uh, OCD really bad, washing my hands like 12 times. I wouldn't use public toilets or the toilet at school. I went through a period where cleanliness was just, that was a huge factor on my OCD. So much so that I wouldn't use the toilet at school. I would hold all day and get home. And I was much younger, so I didn't understand it. So unhealthy for yeah, your exactly. system. And germs. And it was it was kind of, I think a lot of people with OCD, it can come back to germs or bathrooms and that type of stuff. And correct me if I'm wrong, OCD is a sense of control. Yeah, right? obsessive is, compulsive disorder. Yes, yeah, so it's by doing that, it makes you repetition. feel more in control. Yeah, but you also become obsessed by numbers and repetition. So one of something sometimes isn't enough and you convince yourself that if you do it four times or six times or an even number, there's not much rhyme or reason to it. Now, So consuming. It is so incredibly consuming and it changes things. You won't do certain things in your life and whatnot. And I remember my parents took me to a psychiatrist uh, of much younger and I felt really uncomfortable in that environment. And I know they were doing the best that they could to further my life and make me you know, function a lot more normally moving forward as I was going through adolescence. But the confrontation of being in a room with a psychiatrist and him saying that there's medicated options actually knocked it out of me. And I was like, I know from a young age that's not my journey. So I actually did the work personally with, I think it's CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. So I said, no, I'm not doing doing medication and I'd rather go to a psychologist and do Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. So that was my first touch of dealing with mental health from a professional level. And then now I would say that, you know, apart from not loving dirty toilet door handles, I'm pretty good. I don't think anyone does. Let's be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Come on out there. So if there's paper towel to open it, I'll do that. Anyway, <laughs> who doesn't? No judgment. No judgment. Just don't do it six times. Exactly. Having a toolkit. Again, I have a toolkit for things. So even though I don't have OCD now, you can sometimes have elements of routine patterns come back into your life and it's about having a toolkit to be really aware and again if you wake up and you feel dark and like the black dog's knocking on your door have a toolkit of things that you can do don't dwell don't lay in bed there is no quick fix professional help is incredible i don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach to everyone psychology might work counseling might work psychiatry might work medication might work healthy eating might work exercise might work have a toolkit so that you can tap into it because 
you know, we, we look at the suicide rates of men and women across Australia and the world based on They're different frightening age at the ranges. Moment. They're absolutely frightening. And if having a broadened toolkit may prevent another person from doing that because they hadn't found their toolkit prior, how incredible. How incredible. Because I think there's people out there who go, all right, anxiety, there's only one way to fix that. Depression, there's only one way to fix that. There isn't. Your toolkit. Beautifully said. And you you touched on psychology, and I feel like you really understand the psychology from your own experience, from the work that you've done that it, you know exists for people really trying to improve their life or make that change, be it physical or mental, like we've touched on. And your Daily with Luke program, which is your online training program, I love, I was having a look at it, and I love that it includes exercise and it includes mindset. Because I feel like so many of these programs online, which, you know, is very saturated now post-COVID, great exercises available to us, or there might be some great nutrition available to us. But I love how you have your three pillars. So you've got the nutrition, you've got the exercise, you've got the mindset, or as you call it, the meals, mindset, and movement element. So how are they linked to not just our physical health, but our mental health as well? They're so entwined. And to truly be well, we need to find synergy between them. And the reason I've gone with that alliteration of meals, mindset and moves is because when you combine those three M's, you feel, "Mm." you know, you just feel so good with those three M's, right? So we've now got meals, mindset and movement, and then we've got a mindful micro moment whilst we're in the laundry. Exactly, exactly, waiting for the load to finish. (laughs) You can eat all the healthy food and exercise your heart out, you'll never truly be well. You can have a healthy headspace and exercise, but if you don't eat well, you won't be well. You could eat well and have a healthy mindset, but not move and not be well. They all have to kind of happen concurrently together. They're entwined. When you start to eat well, you start to move better. When you start to move better, you want to eat well. When you start doing those things, you start to feel happier and healthier. And the more happy and healthier you feel, the more likely you're going to move and eat well. Seems obvious. Like I'm going in this weird circle where I could have just kept going. (laughs) No, no, we're still with you. It all makes sense. It seems... It does always so, seem so simple, doesn't it? But I think oh, what yeah. we've learned today from you is you've just got to dive in. You've just got to start. Do something, but try lots of things. Be open-minded. Yeah, be open-minded. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if I just had one focus. You've got to be open to opportunities and to also be open to learning new ways of approaching old habits. So what's one great health question that you think all men or women should ask themselves? Do you remember how good it feels to feel good? Oh, I love that. Do you genuinely feel good? I want you to do a check. You know how sometimes you do like a a body check where you stand with your legs shoulder with the part, arms by your side, and you check your posture and you just kind of go, oh, wriggle your toes. Mm -hmm. Do that. So start by standing, legs shoulder with the part, hands by your side, slow your breath, do some deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. But then instead of just asking about sensory, is my back sore or all of that? Nah. Are you genuinely feeling well within yourself? And we talk about our gut instinct. You'll know. And if you're not, if you're tired, lethargic, depressed, anxious, down, lacking motivation, flat. Stressed, overwhelmed. Hate in life. Make changes. Did you ask Angelina Jolly this question? (laughs) 
<laughs> I asked her many, many questions. Is it true that you trained Angelina Jolie? I worked with her directly yes. on a film here. Coaching, sorry. Yeah, so yes. long story short, great experience. And what an amazing person. She gets a very strange edit in the media based on her weight and body type and her career and her love life. But as a human being, there was no one more gentle or genuine as Angelina Jolie. I got a phone call when I was living in Bondi asking if I could go to Fox Studios in Sydney to have a job interview, but we're not really going to tell you too much about it. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. I went to Fox Studios and I met with this producer and he was American and he goes, thanks for coming in, Luke. We are looking for someone who does both training and nutrition. You'll be working directly with our director. And with our director, you'll also be in charge of the training schedules for the three male lead actors who need to gain and lose weight according to a war story. And I said, okay, cool. I can do that. No worries. So highly calorie restrictive whilst also being nutrient dense, as well as putting muscle on quite quickly with a lot of calories from good nutrient dense sources and delivering their food to their hotel, being on set working with catering, cooking food, all sorts of stuff, right? Amazing. And uh, training regimes. and What an said, exciting opportunity. But by then I still didn't know who and where or what. And uh, he goes, great, cool. Just give me five minutes. Can you wait out there? Feel free to make yourself a cup of tea. And I was like, yeah, no worries. So I went to the staff room there and I made a cup of tea. And I just felt a presence next to me also making a cup of tea. And she goes, oh, you must be Luke. I looked up and it was Angelina Jolie. And I said, I don't even know what I said now. So long ago. Hello. I was like, Hello. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's me. Yep. I couldn't believe my eyes. And, and you goes, must Great. be Angelina. Yeah, you must be uh, <laughs> Miss Jolie. Miss Jolie Pitt. And uh, long story short, I then moved up to Queensland to live near the set and worked at Warner Brothers Studios there on the Gold Coast and met with Angelina most days and the team. And yeah, the rest is history. What an amazing story. Great. An incredible experience. Still not in a Hollywood movie, so what mustn't have really worked that hard. <laughs> I know. You're really just not doing enough with yeah. your seven years of your cook show and your new own, your exactly. own and you're writing your 15 cookbooks. Yeah. What, what have you been doing with your time? Lazy. <laughs> so lazy. Luke, I could talk to you all day. I have a million more questions, but I'm super conscious of your time and your energy. We always finish our episodes with a little bit of forced mindfulness, if you will. So if we were to take a beat right now, a forced pause, a moment of mindfulness where we focus our awareness and our attention on what we're sensing and we're feeling in this very moment, can you share with me yours? Content is the first word that came to mind. Content in the energy I'm in, obviously your company, I feel very content and comfortable but content in that I think this conversation and the conversations we're having, some that some people don't feel brave enough to have, can make a huge impact on other people. And I feel content if I know that no matter how little or small, that maybe there was a conversation point in this chat that might help turn something around for somebody. If someone's listening to this and they feel stuck, I'm content that we've gone deep enough within reason for a podcast that we might have made change, even if it's just for one person. Beautifully said. You only, we only need one person to be feel seen, mm-hmm. feel heard, or hear something that makes them feel not alone. Yeah. So thank you for doing that today. Thank you for sharing 
for being courageous with everything you've talked about. Thank you for shining your light on this podcast. Your energy is even more powerful in real life than it is on Instagram, online, (laughs) but it is. It's authentic. It's infectious. That is why I wanted you to be here today. It's everything and more that I expected. And um, keep continuing that, that mission that is to help people live their happiest lives. And I think we need more people like you in the world. Honoured to be here and all the way right back at you, Steffi. I hope we can do it again soon. We will. Thanks so much for joining me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mindful Mess. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and share from your favourite podcast platform. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are.